Hey there, King of Red Lions, this is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, thanks for reminding me of the joke name I picked for this episode. Steven, what is the King of Red Lions, or who? That is the name of Link's boat in Wind Waker, which is the limit of my creativity for this week, because when they're on that boat ship flying aircraft, he's manipulating the weather and the wind to give them a better trip, which is like the main method of travel in Wind Waker. Okay, Except you're on a boat at sea rather than in the air. Okay, I was about to say, yeah, I, I thought it was a sea boat, but you haven't played the Final Fantasy series? Uh, no, believe it or not. I played, you, like, I don't know, 10 hours of Final Fantasy VII back when it was, like, new. Back when it was a good game. Right. <laughs> the, yeah, the, um, the um, 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 yeah, the Final Fantasies always had a, an airship somewhere in them. It's, you know, I, I iconic part of the thing now. And I mean, I guess so do a lot of fantasy things, but that's where I always go. That's a good point. Flying boats are common. Which is weird because like planes don't seem to be and they're a lot more efficient. But you know, it's fucking weird. Arab has planes. Oh, <laughs> but uh they have um I guess this thing could stay under dragon height and uh it's entad powered. So it's like, well, as long as I got this magic flying ship that someone smashed together, then I might as well use it, right? Exactly. All right. I have started recording. All right. We had some technical difficulties. Maybe the cold is slowing down the electricity in the wires. It's in the hmm. single digits out there. Anyway, we didn't get to say what we're doing yet. We are oh, yeah. here re- discussing Alexander Wales' web serial Worth the Candle in our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue. Indeed we are. And uh, you can support us in doing this in the Patreon that we have. You can uh, It's in the show notes. You can also support Alexander Wales in his Patreon, which is also linked in the show notes. And right now you can pre-order his book, Worth the Candle Through Adversity, which is the first three books combined into one big book that you can get for just $4. And we have a link to that as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the audiobook is also coming out. So for those three books, um, yes. that said, anyone who wants the ebook, not the audiobook, because I'm not, I'm not rich, but anyone who wants the ebook, uh, but for whatever reason, can't get it yourself. I'll buy 10 copies uh, up to 10 copies. So just ping me on discord or something Ooh. and I'll hand out ebooks left and right. Huh? Is that like a thing you can do? If you have someone's email address, you can buy them a gift copy. I should be able to like buy a copy as a gift. I don't even look into doing that. Actually, I just assume it has to be possible. Probably. It. It. I. I will be completely flabbergasted if you can't buy a book for somebody. Then again, your Kindle library. Where else can I deliver it to? Would you look at that? I can't buy a book for somebody else. That does not surprise me because Amazon can be fucking stupid in that regard. Well, why on earth can't you? I mean, you can buy something for them that's physical and have it shipped to them, but like, I don't know why you can't. I was also going to do this with, uh, um, when that fell through, I was going to say, all right, I'll do it for the audiobook, but I can't do it there either. So, um, no. okay. Well, sorry, everybody. You're all on your own. Uh, hit me up on Discord <laughs> if you want me to Venmo you four bucks. But if, I guess what I'm saying is if money is the thing that's stopping you from buying, from pre ordering, just let me know and it won't be anymore. Okay. All is right. this available to anybody? Uh, up to 10 people, probably. I don't think I don't expect I'm going to get hit up a bunch. So, If you're just Venom-wing anyone four bucks, you might get suddenly hit up by a lot of people. Well, first four, try to be sincere about it. Um, okay. First first 10, try to be sincere about it. Uh, yeah. I guess, yeah, I'm surprised. I thought Amazon would be cool about it. All right. Well, if Amazon's not cool about it, at least our audience is. They gave us some feedback to hit this week. Uh, GadBB on the Reddit said... Uh, I read those chapters in the perspective of Val is trying her best and being helpful. 
And I felt all of her behavior could be explained well enough by that theory. Sure, you can say things like, but that's just what the devil would make you think, but that's not evidence. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not evidence. I will point out that a lack of evidence is also a very devilly thing to do. But um, <laughs> no, it's not that I think that uh, like the devils are always behind the wheel and she's secretly evil all the time. Um, you know, in her point of view chapters, she seems like she's actually nice. Again, super paranoid, paranoia level, but like the POV chapters are June imagining other people's points of view. So he could be wrong about what's going through her head. But all that aside, I'm just worried, like slash suspicious, that using Satan's sight to manipulate people can't be done with a heart that stays pure during the process. Um, I think like when she's using the power, the devils put their evil thumbs on the scales. Uh, I I don't know, but I, I worry about that sort of thing. It sounds like exactly the kind of thing that would happen. But, yeah, you know, this is a I don't think June got any eviler when he souls scaped all of um Folliter's soul magic out of him right like mm-hmm. if you are just ripping the essences out of people uh it seems like that's what she's doing with the devils you know just ripping mm-hmm. out their cunning or something yeah and that seems completely neutral she's just doing numbers go up so that's that's <laughs> completely plausible yeah but all their all their skills have always been like they're very the um the cold putting on the ring in the branchless lord of the ring kind of style right where you you see all the worst possible interpretations of what people do and how to manipulate them so it's it it definitely casts things in a different light i would imagine if you're using the satan site you're right actually and that is explicit in the text it doesn't just say that she becomes you know level 90 cunning um it talks Mm -hmm. about uh she has to overcome like the impulse that it gives her you know the first the first suggestion is always violence or whatever right um yeah so yeah she is having to swim through the miasma of evil to come to the you know as good a conclusion as she can find while using the skill yeah i I do think that she is i i I imagine she's doing her very best to be helpful and like maybe she's a little influenced by that but i am not i'm I'm not nearly as worried as you are that she is like plotting to take bethel away to a secret location and do things to her which seemed to be what you were implying in that what that episode yeah i guess i'm not i'm not sure how worried I would say I am other than to say like it's on my radar. Um, Hmm. I think that the straightforward explanation definitely is probably likely probably, probably more likely than not, but like how unlikely does the, um, or how big of a probability does the like negative possibility have to be before you're actually worried about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, Gad also commented uh, a little bit after this. I wonder when I get on top of the, my ladder of paranoia, if Uther and June are DMPCs being used to create a narrative focus for the party, the actual players playing as their party members. They are themselves a world-changing event. They bring a party together. They dole out quests. Uh, I wanted to to pull this out because holy crap, that's an awesome Galaxy Brain interpretation. Uh, I I don't think it's true necessarily but like that would be really fucking cool if june is you know actually not a real person he's just the dmpc and all the other people in this party are the real people it's it's a fun idea i don't know like that would be a cool thing i just don't know if i'm sold i think the dmpc would have to be aware of the fact like that they're dming the game and he has spoken to someone who claims to be the dm um Hmm. it's also not clear 
Like, I think we don't know, at least I don't remember everyone who was in Uther's party. Maybe Vervain was the only one off the top of my head that wasn't somebody who they played D&D with, like one of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. But like Raven and Everett, and that's all I can remember. Oh, wait, and 42 or whatever, the changeling shapeshifter thing. Um, yeah. Those were all characters from their games. Uh, right. You know, the only one in June's party that was from someone that they played with was Maddie. And mm-hmm. it's not clear who the other ones would be. Um, and like, I mean, they, Uther was aware that, you know, hey, this is Maddie's face, whatever, right? Yeah. They yeah, might cool, just though. be other. They would. They might just be other people. The other players, like not necessarily anyone who June knew. Like if I, if I were to take the DMPC thing straight, then I would say no. Obviously, that can't be the fact because the DM knows that he's playing the PC. So like, it, it would be entirely written from the point of view of the DM, and the DM would know what's going on. But if I wanted to take it up one level and go like Fight Club with this shit, hmm. I it, it would fucking epic if the dmpc like didn't know that he didn't really exist and was being manipulated by the dm and like this is a thing that he discovers later and it all comes out and this whole thing is like a crazy mindfuck where he's like oh my god i don't actually exist the simulation is just such high fidelity that it actually accidentally gave me complete self-awareness and i thought i had this past and like that would be an epic thing to read. So Gadbibi is either an amazing fucking prophet or just someone with a really cool idea. That I like the the fight club thing. I mean, the hard part with that would be, uh, you know, why does June have a game layer? Um, why does he have such a weird backstory that throws Arab on its head rather than just being born the peasant king? Right? Um, yeah. It. But you know, it. I I, I like where your head's at and. Uh, Gad, you're you're thinking uh, now. You're thinking with portals, and that it's fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then finally, do the math has a theory. Do the math says Mary wasn't as understanding as she was because she felt this was legitimately a step too far on Bethel's part, but because of narrative considerations. Obviously, if she plays up, th- if she plays the role of ruthless utilitarian in this situation and tells June, "Suck it up, the hells are at stake." This would put her in the bad guy role and lead to June eventually breaking away from her. And I thought that's amazing galaxy brain thinking. And I, I really wish we had the, like just an entire novel from Mary's perspective. Cause holy crap, that'd be fantastic. If she's like, well, it's, it's really not that big a deal, but you know what? If I were to say that, then I'm the bad guy. And this is a story and being the bad guy is a bad idea in a story. So uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Her reaction seems so genuine, but it would if you're a really good Slytherin, right? Um, Yes. You know, she might not have gone like, let's go fully destroy the thing right away. She said, well, how do you feel about this? Do you want to uh, violently react? But since she immediately was like, all right, let's, let's go nuclear. It makes it seem like she wouldn't have pushed that far. if She was just playing the role. Um, But then I don't know if it's necessarily even narrative consideration. I mean, it would be, you know, being the protagonist's, uh, whatever bad guy means you're going to get killed, but could also just because she likes him and didn't want to hurt his feelings, you know? Um, well, I sure, I guess, but I, I currently my bets on uh, her reaction having been genuine. Yeah. And I don't think I'm being unfair by assuming that Amaryllis is being genuine and worried about Val's genuineness. Cause I think Val is genuine. I think that when she's, you know, driving with a devil, um, that the devil's not genuine. So, 
Yeah. Different. I mean, I think both of I think both of these are like low probability things, but I really love like Galaxy Brain very outside of the the narrative thinking theories, so I could not resist pulling them in. That's why we're here. That's right. This is the kind of stuff that like you could go out, you know, late when you're in college at a coffee shop and just talk about for hours if this is what you and your friends are currently obsessing over. Totally. Right now, you know, it's mainly just you and me, but I like that the Discord uh well they what am I saying? Uh, it's you and I talking about it with our voices. They talk with yes. their fingers. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes that's a great way to talk. That's right. All right. Well, let's dive in. Case, let's exactly chapter one seventy four, the blade of the self. Uh, it starts out with a bunch of traits that he gets as he is power leveling these skills, and I pulled out research ten organizational efficiency. Because uh, this is amazing. When you research anything, you are capable of holding in your head the location of all previous sorted or filed materials, so long as no one else has moved them. No special organization schema is required for this. You simply know where everything is. And like, holy shit, there have been so many times I've like wanted to wish I could remember where a source for something that I know is but I don't have it. And even if I were to all file it in some file, then I would have to peruse the file for two hours to find things. And it's very frustrating. And like, I think this is OP as fuck. And someone with this ability in the real world would be like worth thousands of dollars per hour for a (laughs) research Institute or a data management company, or even just like a, a, a smart rich person. Like this is fucking amazing. You know, I, it wasn't until you laid out why you thought it was OP that I realized I didn't give this this virtue the credit it was worth. I thought it was like, you remember where you put everything, uh, which isn't exactly the same thing as saying you remember where you saw everything and where you got it all from. Uh, so you're right. That'd be like, okay, now I saw that on page 292 of this encyclopedia. Let me go get it, right? Uh, yeah. I thought it was just like, you remember where all your stuff is. And I'm like, I have this perk. This is the only one I have. Uh, oh. You know, I I can have random oh. shit on a random shelf in the back of a closet and remember where it is five years later. Um, so but, first of all, that is a fucking amazing perk. And I am super fucking jealous of you because I can't remember where things are five minutes after I've put them down sometimes. And that is really frustrating. It, my, my memory but, comes with heavy trade-offs. I don't know right off when my parents' birthdays are, even though I've tried to remember. And I couldn't tell you without cheating what day of the week it well we record on tuesdays but in general i don't know what day of the week it is or what the date is so um see those are trade-offs that i pay too except (laughs) i don't get to remember where things are i i feel like i got it shafted on all this oh man but that being said since that since my interpretation is insanely op and this is a, a level 10 perk maybe your interpretation is more correct well you know it it would be it'd be interesting and it would be it'd be overpowered on Earth on air, but it just means like you have a good memory for your citing your sources. That sounds like a level ten yeah. virtue to me. That's true, especially considering that like level twenty virtues for um, shield holding let him defy the actual laws of physics. That's right. Yeah, you like uh, get pushed back less or some stuff like that. Yeah, like what the fuck. So, all right, I'll, I'll burn through a couple of these real fast. Um, basically, I don't know. He gets like a dozen here, right? Uh, level mm. 20 optics um, whenever he touches a lens or prism of any kind you can alter its properties um, and alterations you make will revert once no longer holding it this includes biological lenses like the eye um, nice 
as long as alterations are physically possible, which just means like you can't, uh, I'm assuming, turn a, you know, speck of glass into a planet and slam it into somebody, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that still seems abusable as all heck. Like Eagle Vision is the obvious one thing, but uh, I think it'll make that glass exclusion zone easy to e- much easier to handle. Um, and it sounds oh. like when combined with... What was the other one? Um, I forget. There was another gem magic one. Oh, un, uh, in the rough, uncut gems can be used as though they're cut. And then fractured brilliance. Uh, you're no longer constrained by the gem for determining the number of projectiles. So if you can change what uh, a, a lens is or what a um, a prism of any kind, including, I'm assuming, a gem, you can change its focal point, etc., its thickness. So you can change all the properties. You can basically get some shitty rock as long as it's mostly <laughs> one uh, gem underneath, right? doesn't have to be cut, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be polished. Um, and he can do all the gem magic he wants with it. Pretty, that seems like it's going to be cool. Yeah. Fistful of rocks of any kind and they perfect ideal gems out of them. It sounds like it. Uh, level 20 logic contradiction. If anyone presents a logically inconsistent argument to you or an argument which is inconsistent with the facts as you know them, you'll instantly and firmly be aware of this, even if you don't remember these specifics. And I don't know why that made me chuckle. Um, it's just like, this perk is your bullshit alarm is better calibrated. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, you know, I just today in the Reddit, and probably this is why someone posted it, uh, saw a meme about some dude that was just contradicting Socrates every every single line. And that reminds me of this now, and I'm going to have to post it in the show notes because it is fantastic and perfect oh, for this. Perfect. Although, also, the meme is, you know, a joke, so he's wrong, uh, which is what makes it funny. And these virtues would not um, give, give him wrong answers. Yeah, it seems like it only if it's logically inconsistent or inconsistent with the facts as you know them. Um, yeah, but I just thought it was funny. It's like, hey, level twenty logic. Guess what? You get a better bullshit detector. <laughs> <laughs> you can now be that annoying jerk that just keeps naming logical fallacies. Right. Speaking of uh, level ten logistics, I don't remember what it does, but are logistics and lo- logic two different skills, or are some of these oh, like I'm- uh, they've got to be synergy virtues, mm-hmm. right? No, 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 no. Though logic is, you know, the ability to follow premises to their natural conclusions and do argumentation and that kind of stuff. Uh, logistics is the ability to um, get things where they're needed. They're like supply chain um, management. Uh, they're making sure that your army has enough food and has ways of getting the food and supplies that they need. That kind of stuff. Logistics is very different from logic. Well, I mean, now that they're they're different, but they seem close enough. You know, it, it's. It seems like having one skill for like strength and another one for weightlifting, you know? No, what? That's that is absolutely not the same thing. Like logic you would use a like a formal argument in figuring out if something is valid or not, whereas logistics is finding out where to get the food, uh how to pay for it, how to transport it to where it's needed and making sure that there's enough of it and figuring out a way to distribute it to the whole army like that has very little to do with logic it's more about manipulating the physical world and knowing where stuff is yeah fair enough okay so those are different i'm trying to look at his character sheet here and i'm blind because i'm stupid um let's see he has logistics and logic you're right they are different uh skills okay uh the next one that you had pulled out was repairs 20 when you look at something broken you instantly know which parts need to be replaced or repaired within three degrees of reasonableness (laughs) I remember why I pulled that out. Three degrees of reasonableness is just, I mean, 
can't you just imagine Raymer burning the entire evening arguing that this is within three degrees of reasonableness of whatever? <laughs> You're right. right. What what the and hell does like, that even mean? <laughs> what's the difference between three and four degrees of reasonableness? Yeah, someone, you know, someone un- explain that to me. It's unreasonable for you to draw the line between three and four degrees of reasonableness right there. Be more reasonable if it was a little over. There was one that was like, um, oh yeah, burnout resistance. If you suffer two or more levels of creative exhaustion, you suffer one less instead. And I'm just like, I'm suffering creative exhaustion trying to understand what this is even doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, huh. I, that's, a, that's a good point. I guess there must have been something in the rules about how exhausted you get making something. Are there different levels of like physical exhaustion? I guess there are. Like it takes longer to recover when you've super exhausted yourself. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, still, it was just, uh, it was funny. Did you grab any of the other yeah. virtues? I did. I grabbed Gem Magic 50, not because of what it was, but just because he, it means that he got his skill up to 50. And uh, he didn't get any of the 60 perks. So it looks like that uh, with his respec, he managed to get his skills up in the between 50 and 60 range, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's that, that that's respec following. is paying dividends already. Yeah, the um, uh, I think the text says that he was able to get the soft cap on every new skill that he had taken. Now, I'm assuming we're to take that with a grain of salt because there's no way he got tree and gold magic up to level 20. Um, right, right. So I guess he Probably means... Probably all the ones he did unlocked. Yeah, but he, he made a sound... I mean, he says, every new skill that I had taken. And for a second, I was like, wait a minute, you didn't mention any perks from gold magic? No way. Okay, so... <laughs> I think he was jumping the gun, yeah. but... I yeah. think he was. Oh, and, you know, skimming this too, he didn't get any perks for, you know, putting warding on his sheet yet, so... <laughs> yeah, must have been hard to level that one up. Yeah. He, uh vibration magic 30 spectra speaking of warding uh it says you can expend breath to apply the sensory aspects of vibration magic to a wider range of vibrations including the entire electromagnetic spectrum and everything covered under warder's sight which makes me think if it covers everything under warder's sight that like now we were talking about why did he take the warding skill and i was thinking well maybe for warder's sight now he doesn't even need that for warder's sight because he has this vibration magic um level 30 perk so uh just just wasted a slot completely i hope he's kicking himself um because <laughs> yeah. you know, he made a compelling case it's like being able to see wards does sound like it's useful um mm-hmm. you know maybe still being a good warder will help him understand what he's looking at and beat mm. wards if he's ever alone um it's true that could be very useful assuming he's ever separated from grack yeah i feel like there's got to be end tads for that that sort of thing too but you know he put it on there for a reason. I think what I said last week is that this was the combined efforts of Raymer and Amaryllis. Like they didn't let him waste the slot. So, um, yeah, it's true, but let's see. Oh yeah. He and Grack are going to go talk with, uh, the frog princess. Um, oh yeah. So the tongue princess, uh, they, she gets to talking with June just to say, basically I'm unhappy with what has happened with all this. And she acknowledges that it was all within the terms of their agreement and everything. But she said that, like, when she talked to Amaryllis, that Amaryllis would t- listen to all her concerns and then go into the time chamber and make some plans and come back for a few hours later. And uh, she she would address all her objections. Uh, she had various action action items. She had choices for her to cho- consider uh, if she liked any of the, you know, proposed solutions. And uh, as, soon, as soon, the Tongue Princess says, you know, eventually, like, yeah, I agreed to all of it. It seemed reasonable at the time. Uh, but, like, now 
They, she's she's looking at thousands of children that, uh, as June says, you're looking at thousands of children that you don't know, people who share a species with you, but almost nothing else aside from physiology. And uh, then the Tongue Princess later says, yeah, I've spoken to some of them. There is an enormous gulf between us. And I don't know, this the whole thing made Amy sound kind of like a uh, evil genie, you know, <laughs> where she, she's like, oh, this is what you want. OK, yes, I can give you exactly what you want. And you agree that everything is right. But then, like, at the end, when you see the final product, you're like, I, I guess I am the strongest man on Earth. But I didn't know that meant killing everyone stronger than me. No, right, yeah. <laughs> she found the monkey paw interpretation of all this. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I don't know. So one of the things that made this fun was like, oh, yeah, no, Amaryllis would come to the meetings prepared with like binders of everything and full, um, you know, comprehensive answers to all my questions. And, and uh, June's like thinking, oh, yeah, because she would prepare for weeks for like, you know, every meeting she had with you or something. And mm-hmm. it on the one hand, ha- having a business partner who can over prepare for, for everything is awesome. On the other hand, it kind of feels like cheating. Um Mm-hmm. It, it's like remember when lois was debating superman and he i don't think it ever comes up i can't remember if it's if she mentions what it feels like from her end or not but like uh we know he can basically stop time so he can mm-hmm. sit there and ponder what they're discussing for two weeks in the t- in the span that it takes her to, to to draw breath right yeah and it's just like it's not really fair um uh, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't call her so much of an evil genie. I I never got the impression that the, that the Tung had like this maternal feeling thing that humans do. You know, how do you feel maternal towards half a million kids? Um, right, right. And she she straight up was like, "If you get me out of here, I'll give you all my kids." Right. It, <laughs> yeah. it, they she, they probably would have done it just out of the goodness of their hearts, but she's the one who had to throw her kids into the mix. So yeah. Uh, well, I mean, she did she did say basically what she was hoping to get out of this and how like that is nothing close to what she actually got out of it. But she does also acknowledge that you abided by the terms of the agreement. So, uh, I'm, I'm fulfilling my side cause, cause that's just fair, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I thought it was, it was interesting that, that they managed to divorce her from, from what she had hoped for so efficiently and, it was it was kind of scary. It was like seeing a uh, super intelligent AI, except you know, not super intelligent, just like as intelligent as Amaryllis, which is really damn intelligent. Plus, having a time machine. Yeah, it's really just like that's why I liked the you know Superman. I think is I don't know he's probably average intelligent, right? But it's the fact that he can sit there and think for a week. Um, yeah, it's just more processing speed gives you a huge advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. So so what Frog Princess really wanted was like just a Tung society away from they decided they already had right yeah a kinder gentler one that other tongue could escape to and still recognize it as kind of like you know their their species their culture ish okay yeah i if you squint she got that right but i get how she feels like she kind (laughs) of got screwed um i don't think she got that at all she basically says that i feel like i'm in an alien society these people don't even speak the language yeah no it's it's well you wanted somewhere different than home right but it's reminiscent Mm -hmm. of home and that there's a bunch of frog people here so um, if you read the fine print of our contract, you'll see that I didn't violate any of the terms, but I, I see how I, I she mean, feels. Yeah. If I was like in a lobster society and they were all wearing human suits, I would be like, this is not the human <laughs> society that I asked for, sir. 
Well, you did forgot to specify that in the contract. So, <laughs> yeah, right. see, evil genie. Yeah. On, on the plus side, uh, I guess plot-wise for Amaryllis is that it doesn't seem like Frog Princess has a lot of leverage or like can do anything about what happened, um, yeah. unless there's some biological kill switch that she can kill all of her kids with a thought or something. Um, doesn't look like it. No. Then it's like, yeah, sorry, you're sad, but you know, whatever. That said, yeah. you shouldn't do that, and that's a bummer, and this might come back to bite them, but it's not going to – doesn't feel like it'll bring down their nation, but we'll see. I guess the argument kind of reduces to if you're doing it for good, you're a light lord. Uh, I I think that Amaryllis probably thought that she was giving Eswin what she wanted. I No, I don't think so. Really? Yeah, I think Amaryllis realized she was reshaping this society and Eswin wouldn't be exactly happy with it, but Amaryllis thought, you know what – I, I can do this better and as soon is not reaching high enough oh yeah that, that also that more by like their contract yeah yeah but you know i guess it is yeah it's tough yeah sucks to suck you know as as brian might say uh, <laughs> right i mean you know i hope it works out for her. i hope she can you know to be to be frank i completely forgot she existed uh yeah so me too you know it's that, that's what you get for being an off-screen character. Like, <laughs> thanks, thanks for doing us in our army. Uh, maybe we'll see you one more time before the end of the book. Right? If you were smart like Amaryllis, <laughs> then you would have just been right next to June the whole time. Yeah, you'd have, where has she even been? I'd have insisted living on Bethel, in Bethel. She could have, you know, wanted to be, like, in the time chamber raising the kids. Like, you know, I feel like there's there's all kinds of ways she could have been more involved, but whether it was plot contrivance or her not wanting to, or maybe being forbid to, forbade to by Amaryllis. But um, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. So June, when talking to her, brings up this uh, thing where he says, I understand that your culture is important and that cultures in general have often evolved for good reason. And he gives the example of uh, throwing a pinch of salt, salt over the shoulder whenever the miners left the salt mine. And uh, then new management took over and it was like, okay, that's dumb. You can keep doing it if you want, but we're not going to make it part of all our culture. And eventually people forgot and stopped doing that. And then two months later, a horde of salt golems burst forth <laughs> from the walls of the mines because the compact they'd formed generations prior had been repeatedly and terribly violated. Uh, I like this because basically um, uh, Alexander Wales is pulling out the lessons of the secret to our success and seeing like a state which are... Uh, books that have been reviewed on Slate Star Codex, actually now Astral Codex 10, but I believe the archives would be in Slate Star Codex. And also we did episodes on them over at the Basin Conspiracy. So uh, yeah, they're they're really cool. I'm glad he pulled that out. I, I still kind of have some quibble with this sort of thing. And as June does too, like he mentions as well, the exact same thing I'm about to say that like, it's hard to square those sorts of culture is important lessons, which it is with uh with progress because sometimes they evolved the culture evolved that way for a good reason but sometimes it was for a bad reason and you can't progress if you can't change anything because you're scared that breaking something is going to be uh awful so uh i don't know you sometimes got to take some risks and to to change things that are actually bad yeah you you don't know what like the good like the, the important evolved cultural things are and which ones aren't um Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, male circumcision is very popular in the West. Is that uh, is that something that we need to hold on to as something that is secretly valuable, even though no one knows why? Um, it seems like a safe bet. <laughs> no. Probably not. Um, 
but like that's the thing from the outside it, it's not if you're going to treat everything like that you would let people resume make, you know maiming babies just because you don't want to stir the pot um but th- there's all kinds i don't know it's what's funny and this the other lesson to just take from this is like write down your compacts slash treaties so the future remembers them um (laughs) you know it maybe it was long enough that it was you know faded into myth but like i don't know carve that shit on the wall of the mine right like they had to mine that wall to get salt (laughs) i i feel like that particular example at least is is because that one had a uh like a real um uh what a solid foundation for its for its origin right like uh yes there there was some speculation i think in the secret of our success about like well you know the bible advises against eating pork because you know that that stuff was real bad you know if cooked improperly could really fuck you up and cooking was hard back in the day like okay that's plausible um but if we're going to make stuff up like that now that's bullshit it's probably bullshit um but if we're going to make stuff up like that now we just cite a source and be like, you know, here's here's why you don't eat whatever this is, right? Here's why you must cook chicken mm-hmm. to at least 165 Fahrenheit. Um, yeah. And then people don't have to wonder, well, is this just cultural evolution or is this a real thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, but we do find out that, like, she spent a fuck ton of time in the time chamber years at this point, which is a lot of time in the time chamber. They were really reliant on that thing. And holy shit, she's, I don't even know, like, how old she is now. She's going to age way too fast i mean i guess not too fast it it just it seems like a hell of a sacrifice yeah i mean not to her right i think that she's thinking well if if i have to shave off 20 percent of my life to have my plans come to fruition it's totally worth it um i i think uh like june felt a little bad because you know he's felt like he hadn't supported her or something and it's not like she invited him in um She's like, she just went off and did the time chamber visits on her own, right? Um, mm-hmm. If he had said no over and over, then yeah, then you can feel a little bad if you feel like it. But you didn't even know these were really happening until afterwards. Um, but as you very importantly point out, the real takeaway here is that she's speed running from teen to MILF. Uh, and <laughs> yes. it's, uh, I mean, this is just great news for June. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this great news for June? Yeah, probably. Okay, I, I think Errol is going to get mean, some I, get some sexy time feelings at some point. So, oh, and if oh, not, maybe gonna... he can maybe he can overcome his modest Midwestern upbringing and at least appreciate looking at her, right? Yeah, fair, good point. Yeah, I uh, I, I brought up the teen to milf thing just because Ayla was recently joking about she's reaching that uh that birthday where she's going to turn from teen to milf. <laughs> it's like, how old is hilarious? uh she's 29 so the it's you know more of a of a porn joke because uh, everyone in porn is either a teen or a milf oh yeah that's a good point <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's talking with crack as they're leaving about culture stuff yeah i think i don't remember if we talked about this before or or what or my memory is fuzzy maybe i'm having future memories but um Grax says uh, about his dwarf hold that most people in his dwarf hold only ever talked about the dwarf hold. And uh, it was a really small world, but there was a sense of belonging. Everybody had a purpose and a place. And June thinks about a uh, bumblefuck Kansas uh, when, when this comes up and some of his classmates, he says that would probably live out their whole lives in bumblefuck. And I, I don't, 
I think we talked about this before. I'm not sure, but like Grack isn't just June's um, suicidal part. If we're talking about, you know, all the companions are parts of June. He's also like June's small part, small town origins uh, reflection where, you know, he's, he's the, uh, the, 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 the person who grew up in a small town, but was unhappy with that life and left it for cosmic, more cosmopolitan world. Yeah. I think that's a nice catch. I don't know if we talked about that aspect in particular. I know Grack has mentioned like, you know, it's a small place. And if it wasn't explicit before it was implied that like, no, everyone has a job. And hmm. as part of what that would mean is like, you know, what your role is. And that is sort of like this kind of, um, you know, there, there's no, what am I going to do with my life angst, you know? Um, hmm. So, so part of that sounds great. Uh, so I get why some people like a lot of the dwarves stuck around and uh, I get why some people like Grack are like, holy shit, this is suffocating me. Um, mm-hmm. Oh wait, that's actually grim humor because everyone there choked on air to death. Um, this this is what happens when you have a brain warped by puns. Yeah, you start making connections that you shouldn't make. Get some gallows humor on accident. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I liked the their conversation about that stuff. Uh, randomly, I did pull out here in the chapter that I think Grack was at loyalty nineteen from the previous reading and. I kept thinking he's going to hit 20, but he didn't those readings. So uh, maybe next yeah. week. Well, I hope so. Because he needs that. Uh, what is the level 20 perk for the companions? It changes as far as I can tell. Everyone gets their own. I thought it was the same for um, for Fen and Amaryllis. And I assumed Grack would be the same too, since he's just a standard humanoid with a soul. Oh, like I, I thought the difference with the others. Oh, you're right. They had like soul synergy, something, something. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to go check. I, I I was looking forward to being some unique thing, but that's because Val's, Bethel's, and the Six-Eyed Doe's all have to be their own special thing because they're fucking weird. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to get whatever that is. Well, still good, but not all that exciting then. They do get to talking about uh, what Grack would like in a, a world that remade by June, and, and Grack says, I'm not sure I'd want to live in a world remade by Solus. We have fundamental disagreements. And he doesn't get into what his fundamental disagreements are, but I bet she's a fucking wire hatter. <laughs> you think? I, I think, yeah. She's just one of those people who's like so chill. All she wants to do is be chill for the rest of reality and just have good vibes flowing through her and not uh, not experience or do anything necessarily. Just be like, yeah, man, we're soaking in the sun and swimming in sex chemicals, sex hormones. I suppose. I feel like, you know, obviously being properly wireheaded would get rid of the exhausting component of it, but it sounds exhausting. I I picture her just being chill with living in a small apartment with one dirty bathrobe as her entire wardrobe. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and Grab would also hate that, right? Yes, he would. That's you true. Know, as, as long as Solace can go out every night and go bowling, then she doesn't care. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's also that she wants out of life. Once this, you know, locust <laughs> business is done, she's going to hang up her staff and whip out her bowling ball. <laughs> the entire world is just one giant bowling alley. <laughs> um, the, uh, oh yeah. So Grack, um, I forget what he says. He, he says, I agree. Uh, but uh, he says, I would prefer you to the current management. And June says, what an enormous vote of confidence. But even, even if you're ranking, even if you were ranking people in the party, I'd be what third ish from the bottom. And Grack says, I'd put you first. Mm-hmm. And I, with June, also chuckled at the faint praise, but then did a double take when Grack wasn't being funny. Um, the fact that he put June first is huge praise indeed. Um, yeah. I 
thought they'd get more into like why he'd put June first, and he'd say something like, you know, you have a an expressed desire to be a better version of yourself. You know, you're compassionate. You actually make huge efforts to understand people, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't really get into that. Uh, he just says that he'd put June first, and they start talking about uh, what I, that would look I, like I, if I'm, June got the handle to the whatever not, ship. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why like both Grack and or both you and June thought it was such a big deal to put June first because like it, it's a small party. Third from the bottom is basically third from the top as well. Like if you <laughs> manage to beat out two other people, that's not that big a deal. I don't know. It just it didn't seem like like he like stopped in his tracks and was like, "What?" I'm like, dude. There's only like five people in your party that aren't Grack. Like it's it's not that big a thing that he thinks you're the most liable to make a good world out of all of them well i guess there's two things i think i don't know if, if grack is constraining himself to the party only just like um like june throughout the idea even if you were to constrain us to the party he might he might be putting june ahead of literally everyone else on the planet um but also putting anyone a- ahead of yourself i still think is huge praise like you know you're great but i i would have to think for a few minutes before i decided whether or not i'd want you to build my utopia or not right yeah, totally. Although I, I assumed Grack was just going with obviously it can't be me. Well, obviously it's going to be June. So maybe he's just maybe he's just resigning himself to that and now he's uh what do you call it, I guess, uh sucking up know, to the future god of the universe. That and like just reasoning backwards, you know, like okay, okay, I know how this is gonna gonna shake out, so what are all the good reasons I, I can be okay with this? Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um mm-hmm. maybe it's that, but uh I don't know. It seems like he was sincere. Yeah. Well, June does have a great idea for Grackland, or what I think is a great idea. He says, I'd put you in one of the biggest cities, but even with all the people, uh, traditions, cultures mashing up against one another, you would live in a little community, like almost everyone does. A place that has your little core social group selected for compatibility by an omniscient agent of mine. It's sort of like an apartment building, but with more greenery, cleaner, less built for economy and efficiency. Everyone knows everyone in their commune, a hundred people all told, and they have a shared culture of their own. And oh my god, that's like literal heaven. I, th- it, it is amazing that he pulled this out. Like, this is a thing that I would like to make in real life. And every now and then I play around with the idea. But then I'm like, it'll never work. All the people that I would like to have in it are, you know, have to be scattered due to being close to their jobs and stuff. And it just, argh, people have put down roots. So it sucks that it's impractical in the real world. But this is, this would be absolutely wonderful and that's i just i loved grackland and i want to live in grackland and that's why i put it in <laughs> i i liked that he had said june said that he would delegate he had make genius sub gods to delegate to um because mm. that was one of the ideas i had had if i was going to be in charge right like i i'm not smart enough to do it but if i'm literally omnipotent i can make the agents that are smart enough to make people's utopias for them um well if you oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah all right I mean, presumably, I was say also if you were literally what they in, wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but maybe you know you're a busy guy, so you got to make some sub agents to take care of every individual person's utopia. Totally. Um, so anyway, I, I don't. My estimation of June not fucking up godhood went up. Um, mm-hmm. I. It sounds like literal heaven. It sounds fun, but then Grax says, "Would you have the same heaven?" And he says, "Gods, no. I'd never want so many people around." And. Mm. I think the idea of putting people in separate heavens is sort of a bummer, even if it's optimal. Like this is, yeah. you know, well, it could be separate, but you know, I, well, I guess if they're actual duplicates, right? 
Well, then again, my heaven wouldn't be your heaven, right? I was thinking like yeah. you you could be off enjoying your own heaven. And then it's like, well, but I want something different, but I still want to hang out with my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, then I just have a copied version of you. Well, that copy, if it was a true copy, wouldn't want my version of Utopia. So it wouldn't be happy. It wouldn't be optimally happy. Um, you know, this is something that I, I kind of want to make an entire Bayesian conspiracy episode about because I've been lately reading more about this sort of idea that – modern society is so hyper-focused on individualism uh, and atomization that we split into into our own individual universes that are optimized for us and that leaves us isolated uh, from other people because you, you can't have other people's like opinions and needs impinging on your own world and eventually taken to its you know most extreme the ultimate heaven for for what we have going right now for our ideals is everybody in their own separate simulated heaven without anyone else around. That's a real person because everybody is too individual for their ideal heaven to be exactly perfect to everybody else. And this is exactly what that reminds me of. And it is terribly fucking depressing and sad and makes me think that maybe we have gone, maybe we have gone astray with how much we focus on individualism and not being tied down and not having unwanted responsibilities and obligations and duties that are thrust upon us by society. But that is like a whole other episode. So I'm not sure, not sure we should really get into that right here, but I do think it's, yeah, it's fascinating that you pulled that out uh, right around the time I started having these thoughts and it's true, right? Like that, that seems where that, what this would lead to. It seems like it. Yeah. We'll put a pin on that and circle back, put it on the short list for the basic conspiracy for sure. Um, like you do think it's it's sort of a bummer to have this splintered heavens where everyone has their own splinter heaven. I mean, only because I like hanging out with other actual people, um, not yeah. lobotomized versions of them who also enjoy my utopia, right? Yeah. So it it's not clear how how that would shake out. But uh, I was thinking from like June's perspective, it's like managing utopias, especially if you delegate most of the work, sounds really boring. Um, mm-hmm. I I suspect that that would be kind of where june if he was going to fail at godhood that's how he'd fail it's like god being perfectly good is boring um so <laughs> i i was thinking but maybe you'd set aside one world for fun stuff and adventures just to keep things interesting oh. you know oh and maybe he would call that world Arab, right you know may, maybe you could rationalize the suffering in that world because you can use it as a kiln to forge the next god of your multiverse um, omg yeah, so I, this is the kind of a galaxy brain thinking that I love. That that was my uh, fun thought, basically, for this chapter was like, you know, well, it, I think there's a Slate Star Codex. Well, yeah, there's a couple of things sort of like that where it's like, yeah, things suck, but this is as much as they can suck while still having a multiple, you know, an optimal universe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it could be that, well, this is the one bad universe and there's 10 billion good ones. Um, but I don't know if that's where this is going to go or not. So. Um, I had one last thought here where, uh, June was saying, well, you know, we'll have a, oh, well, I guess the other thing too, is that he did have a nice kind of, um, uh, middle ground, which actually we should plant a flag in to talk about for when we bring this up on the Beijing conspiracy at some point. Cause he says, yeah, you know, we can all visit each other once or twice a week, you know, planned dinners mm-hmm. or a show or something. Um, mm-hmm. and that actually sounds perfect. You know, I'm going to be off doing whatever yeah. I want basically all the time, but we get to hang out plenty. And then everybody wins, right? 
Yeah, I suppose. I don't, you know, in that case, it just sounds like a, a much larger world where you have very fast, instantaneous travel to the different places between it. And that might be great, but I, I'm not sure that necessarily solves the whole individualization and, and atomization thing that happens where people just tend to split more and more into isolated beings due to our current ideals. Oh, yeah, that's own kind of worms. I guess I was just thinking more about specifically the separate heavens. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. If there, if there's no barriers to traveling between them, then that's not, it's not hell at least. Yeah. It's at least not as much of a bummer. All right. So Greg says, what you, you mean? Or Greg says a few years and June says, yeah, or less. My power is, gr- is increasing too quickly for this to last that much longer. Um, or to last much longer, no matter what the dungeon master says. Well, first off, what a great way to tempt fate. Um, then he says we're not pushing at the end goal right now but we can't be that far off if we're going up against the upper ends of the scale Momrath was supposedly on par with Fel's seed and I'm wondering where he pulled that nugget of wisdom out of because that sounds like some horse shit to me I think it was because uh, what was it when um, Harold was around it was revealed that if three of the world lords appear at the same time on Erb it is instantly uh destroyed and blinked out of existence and um mumrath was one of the world lords i don't remember if i'm using that if i'm remembering the term i think it was world lord yeah and no, the, that's, um, that's a good point and yeah mumrath was is the, yeah mumrath was one and felseed was one but i don't know i think june is making too big of an assumption in thinking that they're of, of similar um similar threat levels just because they're both world lords like you can have some crappy, weak-ass world lords, and you can have, like, the world's most impressive world lord that, uh, you know, is the one world lord to rule them all, and they, they don't necessarily have to be anywhere near the same power scale. I totally agree. I feel like his his assumption is not grounded in anything I'd bet on. Um, yeah. Like, Felsey could be 90% of the work, Momrath could be 5%, and then whatever else could be the other 5%, right? Yeah. And yeah. all that matters like, is that I mean, you hit 100. It, yeah. If 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 there's if there's a whole host of world lords to choose from, and I only have to summon two of them to end the world, I'm going to summon the two least effort world lords I can, and those are probably also the two weakest world lords, if since they're the least effort, right? That's that would make sense to me. And I, I'm just thinking like Momrath was not that hard, and they've been talking about Felsey like it's this big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And granted, yeah, Momrath wasn't uh, you know he couldn't do it with his eyes closed, but it, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't that hard. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like a couple of dragons could have killed that thing, right? So, Felsey's got to be tough. Um, if June's thinking, oh, yeah, um, I, I killed Mumrath, I'm f- I think this is the, he thinks the same thing in the last chapter, didn't he? Or the last reading about, well, I'm not too scared of the dragons. I did beat Mumrath. And it's like, you're going to mm-hmm. be, in a minute, you know, the second you walk into Felsey's territory, you're going to realize you're getting too big for your shit caked britches. Like thing, <laughs> things are actually severe here. And yeah, you killed one big monster one time. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be worried that it's going to bite me in the butt. Yeah, me too. Um, but it doesn't do that quite yet because the next chapter is not him fighting Felseed. <laughs> it's uh, him going high concept. Yeah. Um, I'll let you do most of the driving for this, but I wanted to, get us started because i don't know if i was feeling stupid today i was reading this or maybe it was part of how it was revealed because if i was supposed to feel confused because of the nature of what was being discussed i totally was and Mm -hmm. it worked great um that said i'm skimming at the actual chapter now it's like the size of it and 
I think I must have dragged out how long I was reading the first several paragraphs because uh, it you, you're not that, you're not confused for that long. Um, but okay, uh, or at least it it starts it, it's clear about what it's talking about after not too long. But I'm following this and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So um, basically, it looks like Uther prepped his homies with some wiring that made them capable of thinking about the outer worlds. And June is outer here to reaches. copy that right. The outer reaches. I keep saying worlds, don't I? Um, so June is, is here with masters Raven's dad to copy that wiring for himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing Uh, uh, that the super redacted horror on his list of 13 exclusions is either lives in the outer reaches or is related to it. It could be the super redacted one at the very least seems like an anti-memetic thing. And so was the outer reaches. So they might be related or the same thing. Yeah. And I wonder, this is kind of fun. I, I feel like they might've mentioned the outer reaches before. But mm-hmm. what's great is I can't quite remember and I didn't go back and check because <laughs> I like the idea that like, well, if they did, we're not supposed to remember it, right? Yeah. Or it just kind of tickles the edge of our memory, but we don't really have a clear memory. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to do or to point out here was that um, before he uh, copies the spirit code from Masters, which is essentially just what you do when you can't figure out how something works. You just copy it and fuck around, which is, which is what he ended up doing. Um, mm. But uh, uh, Raven says, Juniper has his own sense of heroism. And Master says, one that wouldn't, for example, ever allow him to alter someone using soul magic. And June says, well, I would if it was to save the world or a sufficiently large number of lives. Um, mm. you know, don't tell the Empire that, but I don't draw the same lines in the sand that Uther apparently drew. Um is he saying that Uther apparently never soul harmed anyone? It sounds like it. Other than arguably Bethel. Um, yeah. But I although mean, that if, wasn't if, by doing soul hackery. Yeah. If that's the case, I'm going to put that as a huge point of favor on Uther's goodliness scale. Excellent. So it does seem crossed, like he's, a, he's a good guy. Thing. Yeah. I mean, drawing a line in the sand saying, nope, no soul rape, no matter whatever, is a very Hermione thing to do, right? It absolutely is, yes. Yeah, so high five. Yeah, you can't trick me into soul raping someone no matter how many people it'll prevent you from killing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, so he, he gets uh, the, the data dump from Masters. Yeah, oh my god. So I love this whole thing because I really, really like, well, not this whole thing, but like this this initial part, I really like stories where people's brains get fucked with and you can't trust your own memories and your own senses. And that is just like the height of like existential horror for me. And it always sends shivers down my spine. Uh, and so when they first described like Uther said something, but in her memory, the worlds were like missing in a way that was hard to comprehend. And like his mouth was like a smear of paint. And I was like, Oh shit, my memory's been fucked with. And it was, it was really cool. I, I was so on board with whatever we were going to get here. And yeah. uh, then he keeps like saying, you know, uh the effect grows stronger the more you know and uh raven says this isn't the first time you've told us because she's a smart cookie and mm-hmm. then alsa does like told us what why did you call this meeting and i'm like ah it's happening <laughs> i i think i used the phrase smart cookie at least two or three times uh in this week's reading so i wonder if you happen to glance at the long version of my notes or if that was just a fun coincidence um, i did uh, i did read your yeah your notes well either way um uh, so, yeah, she's a spark cookie. She's picked up on it fast. What I liked was, um, well, A, everything that you just said. It made me think of like the uh, corrupted 
uh, what did they call them? They were just memories you could do in Harry Potter in the books. Uh, mm, yeah. Um, pensive memories, right? Yes. Yeah. And so the what Slughorn really sucked at altering them. Um, yeah, they talk about uh, false memories and methods of rationality. Uh, mm-hmm. So, A, that's awesome. And uh, I just, everything that, you know, and what's fun is this was from Raven's point of view. And so if Uther seems exceptionally badass, it could be because it's filtered through her lens. Um, mm. But, you know, it, when she closes her eyes and pictures Uther, he's probably seven feet tall wearing golden armor, you know? Um, <laughs> right. But just everything he's doing here is just so casually fucking awesome. And like, he's just, uh, um, what was the, I don't know, a handful of lines, like, especially near the end here. Um, she's like, Raven says, you know, this isn't the first time you've told us. And uh, then, yeah, like you said, uh, Alcida told us what, why'd you call this meeting? And, <laughs> uh, oh no, wait, sorry. It was right before that. Um, he had said, oh no, you've helped. You just don't remember. Like this is, you know, I don't know. Plus also just figuring this shit out. Right. Um, yeah. Which reminds me, what is he figuring out? We didn't actually talk about what this whole, what this meeting is about. What he's figured out is that there are things being inserted into the world retroactively. Uh, the example that he gives is a castle uh, that wasn't there yesterday is there now. Uh, but a castle would leave signs of itself in the world, like wider roads, generations of staff living there, a quarry that the stones were pulled from, farms that fed, fed the castle. And uh, all those things just suddenly exist where they didn't before and everybody's memories are altered so they always thought they existed uh, uh but they didn't before and there's like some telltale ways you can uh figure this out sometimes and uh uther says someone has been building castles then they've been pretending that those castles were there all along and i really at this point wanted like a dozen chapter diversion so that we could get that storyline because that would have been like really fucking cool. Although I guess like we kind of got a little bit of it in that one thing that I linked you from long ago with um, the cities Alexander Wales wrote that were disappearing, but it was, uh, it, it was not, it was not a dozen chapters with Uther being a badass sleuth. No, but I, I'm glad you mentioned those. Cause I was going to mention that. And I forget what it was called. I should have actually pulled it out, but the uh, you'll find it or mention it again. I can't remember what it was, but it was basically, um, this town used to be here and all the tax records just disagree and no one remembers it being here, but we could have sworn. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so this is just like a, an inverse of that, but just the, you know, he gives this, you know, cause we, we get the impression and we've seen Uther talk so, so few times. Um, but this is already, he's already got like a strongly written voice that this just sounds like the kind of things he would say, you know, so Mm -hmm. they're like, what's going on? And he, he just jumps into some, what seemingly long tangent, you know, about, uh, you know, well, you know, imagine this hypothetical. And then at the end of it, it just says someone's been building castles and, mm-hmm. uh, what, a, what, a, what an awesome thing to pick up on and notice. And this was just like, this was great. Um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, it also, doesn't this sound like the DM power? Like the, 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 this DMs, at least as far as I can tell, done this several times. We're like, just rewritten the entire universe so the past matches up with what he wants to be the case in the present and like i don't know maybe maybe these outer reaches are a thing that's controlling the dm and june is like was sucked into the world by the dm to help him fight them or uh like this is my galaxy brain for this chapter or or what exactly is is 
happening with the Outer Reaches DM interaction here is something I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to that too. And yes, this that was my first thought was like that there's one entity that sounds like it can do this sort of thing, and that's the DM. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one guess is that it's like that the Outer Reaches is like parallel branches in the multiverse, but that seems like, I don't know, it seems like it's too big for the scope of this story. Um, mm. I mean, it could be that, but it, I'd want it delivered like really well if that's where we're going with this, just because I can imagine that uh, th- there's a lot of ways for that to not work out, which is one of the, you know, worrying scenarios about the future of the MCU. Um, but, yeah. Uh, like, it's like Rick and Morty, right? Oh, well, shit, Fen died. I'll just go one universe <laughs> over and grab a new Fen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then so, nothing matters. Exactly. It takes stakes out of everything. But oh, I meant to mention this joke because you put in the notes that you really want a dozen versions of this storyline. I'm like, dude, we got those. We just can't remember them or talk about them. Um, <laughs> cool. But uh, yeah, the thing is, if this is just the DM, why would he let Arthur notice? Um, it's hmm. possibly no- noteworthy that Vervain is absent from this meeting um oh so this is after arthur's figured out that he's like in a a game of some kind and the dm is at or was at least paying attention to him i'm not sure about that it says half the half the knights were there um so you know some people are out doing things um that's true so i'm not sure when he he loops them in or if he does or what but um it's you know for vane's not here to talk about this dm chicanery but uh, I think the outer reaches seems distinct. Like if I had to pin down what their interaction would be, it'd be like the outer reaches is the DM's bag of ideas. Yeah. Yes. The DM is still the one putting things into the world and retroactively changing the story, but his bag of ideas is a thing that exists already. Like maybe it's, it's the notebook of, 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 you know, things that I might put in the, in the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then they, apparently they had this whole thing where, like that makes no fucking sense it, with that hypothesis of where, uh, no, actually Uther and us, we all went there and kicked some ass. I'm like, well, that makes yeah. no sense if this is just the DM spiral notebook of ideas. Right. So, um, they keep I actually have no it, idea what the outer reaches are. Well, they keep calling it P space. And at first I thought maybe probability, but then I thought probably platonic space because they said, um, you peace-based interactions what was it peace-based interactions are common usually trivial nothing more than a query about whether or not some object belongs to a certain class or whether an object is actually an object and i was like oh okay like the platonic form of a chair is this actually a chair and so it's like okay platonic and then like they say you know there are certain um concepts within peace space that were used like he gave himself the concept of sword with a capital s and shield with a capital s and he would give other his opponents the concept of injured with a capital i hmm. or um defeated with a capital d and i was like okay so that totally sounds like platonic space and they're somehow fucking around with uh what the platonic categories are what the ideals are and how they are applied in a way that is beneficial for uther and detrimental to his enemies yeah i i platonic space is my was my leading guess um you know it it could be probability space but like Mm -hmm. it's it's still just not clear to me everything is at the i mean assuming everything that that the dm is actually as omniscient as he seems to be um it's entirely possible that the dm is constrained in lots of ways right if the Mm -hmm. dm isn't really just like an all-powerful god who can rewrite the universe with the snap of his fingers then 
maybe this is like the DM working within the constraints he has. Um, then the outer reaches could be equivalent to, uh, unrun sub applications of the game. Right. Um, like, Oh yeah, here's a bunch of stuff that we didn't bring into the main game yet, but it exists. Uh, Oh, like potential, like expansions and, uh, yeah. Like, like Uther brings up the ice wizard example, right? Yeah. And it's, it's a perfect one. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you're telling me that these things were there the whole time off the record and they just showed up right on schedule? Like, fuck this. Um, mm-hmm. that, that that has expansion written all over it. In fact, I think we talked, I think we used the word expansion or DLC or something when we talked about it the first time. Uh, yeah. But it's not clear to me, to me what it would possibly mean to go to the shelf of ideas where we keep our, our DLC and go kick some ass. Um that's that's the thing that that shoots a hole in every idea I have about what this place means. Um, right. Yeah. You know, it. One of the things they had to do was like anchor themselves on like concepts of themselves, and that's that's a cool thing. I, I like what that's doing, but it doesn't explain to me what the outer reaches are or why they exist. I mean, as to why they exist, probably just because the DM thought they'd be really cool. Yeah. Like, because like maybe the outer reaches is where they determine what the um what the layman would think and what constitutes a degree of reasonableness yeah i suppose i guess like if if the outer reaches is here's our uninstalled dlc packages um if, like if those are all just ideas that, like, that's how you made them right yeah, but yeah then yeah. you know why would i let my protagonist go there without you know installing the dlc properly and just kick butt yeah i think it's more like like an interaction of what you were saying maybe probability space or platonic space or something where uh I swear they talked about this earlier with the layman where he was trying to figure out what would be uh, considered reasonable. And uh, like maybe there's some other plane where everybody's ideas of what constitutes a chair all sort of coalesce into one thing. It sounds like the DM or someone took that idea and was like, that would be fucking awesome if that was a real plane and then made it. And then, you know, Uther had to have some adventure with it because otherwise why have it in the world if someone's not going to have an adventure there? And, you know, that that's that's why they could latch uh, when Raven said uh, it was good that we were already really famous because we could anchor ourselves to the concept of ourselves because that way, you know, most of the people on air already had a concept of Uther and his knights that was like in the the memes meme space uh, and thus was in um, the outer reaches because there's an idea of Uther now in the collective consciousness that exists separate from Uther himself. Yeah, it's I can't, I, the reason I'm, I'm like just hemming and hawing on this is because it's hard for me to figure out what the DM's end game here would be other than like, yeah, it is a really fun idea. But like if this is where he is getting things like the Ice Wizards out of like the stuff he wanted to throw at Uther next, like I'm not going to let Uther look ahead in the story. Right. Um, yeah. Unless I think that'd make a fun story. But then it's hard to you can't keep that going for too long. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it- it sounds like Uther went there, had an adventure, shut it down, but then he kept having adventures. So there was some limit to how much he was able to, to, I, I guess like, and he didn't wipe them out. They came to an agreement of some kind, whatever that means. It's not clear what agents yeah. would be in charge of this place. Right. Yeah. Um, you pulled out the idea, um, like, cause so Raven's, uh, talking with June about this and, uh, she says, you think we've, already had times where we've been blindsided by enemy action and yes yeah i you so grabbed the I, I, sorry 
Yeah, I was I was thinking for a little bit, and I was like, uh, if were there cases in this story already where we had thought, hey, this seems kind of like bullshit. Maybe it was inserted <laughs> into the story and and then rewritten backwards. I'm like, oh yeah, what what about the bullshit tattoo that uh, Amaryllis was stuck with that she keeps complaining about, and that actually seems to have been a really formative experience for her. Uh, and maybe like the all the other. Um, girls, the two girls that he didn't save in the first couple chapters uh, when he first touched down that he later speculated might have been Amaryllis but ended up not being Amaryllis because he didn't save them. Like, uh, those could have both been things that were retconned after after they didn't uh, didn't do what the DM wanted them to do. If the story gets meta enough to, like, not only have an explanation for, like, you know... It, It'd be one thing to give us an answer one way or another. Like, were those, would any of those girls actually have been the princess, you know, to send into Booth or kick off the main story kind of thing? Getting an answer mm-hmm. to that is one thing. Getting an in-text explanation that explains how that would have worked in such a way uh, that doesn't, that isn't just the DM saying, yeah, I made whichever one he talks to the princess, but mm-hmm. no, I actually pulled them all out of like a dimension that you can in theory travel to. Um <laughs> You know, I grabbed different templates of the of the concept of the princess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it if they do all of that and manage to not give you a nosebleed or just shatter the fourth wall while doing it, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be really impressed. Um, yeah, I'm already impressed. The story is you know going this. Uh, I don't know. It meta is not even the word for it. It's it's going this sideways. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Um, it seems. Like I said, the main thing is like if the DM wanted to insert wizards, he could do it seamlessly. I would think, unless he's not really omnipotent, right? Um, yeah. So maybe my model of the DM is wrong, or um, I don't know. Maybe he was part of the outer reaches and broke away somehow, and he's like the Lucifer rebelling against them character now, and now he to just has wage fun. a war on the heavens. It could be. Yeah, now he has fun in Arab and is trying to, you know, find someone like June to recruit to his side. That's possible. I feel like he could have been friendlier if he's trying to recruit June, but he is trying to at least put him in, put him on the throne. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, it seems like I, I, I'm curious to see where this goes. And the next chapter doesn't touch it at all. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess so we get back from the, the flashback. They're, they're chatting for a minute and then. Before they actually dive in, um, uh, Raven kicks her dad out. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, look, I want in. I was trusted. No, I wasn't in the inner circle, but I had duties and responsibilities and you know things that Uther gave me alone. I've stood here for 500 years serving him. And Raven just says, you were useful. You were long-lived, slow to change, and he needed someone stable, which you were. Leave now. And Ouch. I'm just like... I know, right? Someone called 911. There's been a murder. Um, <laughs> I think she was unnecessarily harsh. He, he had been there for 500 freaking years. Well, yeah, there's definitely some history here. She's got some some parent issues too. But, um, you know, she says, yeah, you were long-lived and slow to change. And your thing, that the reason that he gave you all that stuff is because you're stable and you're, you know, he could count on you to not do anything, you know, outside the box. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, geez. Uh, okay, I'll go fuck myself then. Um, and he does. He fucks off. So, uh, yeah, she she got that, I guess. But yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, I think I think that was pretty fucked up of her. 
just yeah. cut your dad in on it, man. He's he deserves something. Or All he least, wants is you know to know. He just wants to help, and I totally get like maybe this is like the more people that know, the worse this, the world could be. But then just tell him that, you know. Yeah, and be like, look, we both get why Juniper has to know. Um, we're we're gonna tell him, but look, if you understood what was happening, the odds of the world ending go up by two percent. Like, and then you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, my bad, I'm out. Um, mm. But no, she just has to, you know, say, yeah, you you could be counted on to be boring. That's why he trusted you. Um, <laughs> yep. So uh, harsh burn, yeah, sick burn. Raven says that they eventually settled on the term Schloss, which uh, <laughs> June points out is just German for castle. So <laughs> I thought that was great. That was just like Arthur to be just like, okay, I'll just use another word for castle since it's castle has been the example that I've been using and they, none of them know it's German. Mwahaha. <laughs> you know, I, I look, I look super creative right now. Uh, yes. But yeah, so apparently that is the term now for a thing that is now part of the world that was recently created along with an entire history and back inserted into time. It's a schloss. I like it. You know, when I when I tell someone else's joke, I if I can, like I give the disclaimer, but like, by the way, I stole that joke or I used someone else's humor or someone else's joke and I'll say it was whatever comedian, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not just because I'm worried I'll be caught and someone will be like, hey, you're trying to, you know, sound funny when in fact you're just ripping off John Mulaney. Um, mm. it's that I, I, I feel disingenuous, um, yeah. when I'm doing it, I feel but like I, you're cheating. Y- yeah. That said, the world is cheating against Arthur here. Right. So <laughs> right. if he gets to look impressive and he, you know, all he did is make up a word here. Right. But you know, he's making yeah, up stories. It's not a big deal. He came armed with all kinds of philosophy and stuff. Um, mm. you know, but like at some point I think you just get over the awkwardness and, uh, I don't know. Um, push push through it i forget where i was going with that i got hung up on the idea of i forgot that we talked about maxing out comedy a long time ago and then we've seen what level 100 looks like on some things and i really am curious what a level 100 comedy skill would look like oh man me too oh it could be like the killing joke the, yeah, oh the joke that's so funny that whoever hears it dies laughing yeah wasn't that uh some version of that the premise of that that recent batman cartoon movie absolutely not no Oh, well, it could have been because uh, the, the title <laughs> I, I, certainly implies it. Um, the, the, sure. Yes. The title had that had that in it. Yes. But yes, I mean, maybe that maybe that's the thing is, yeah, whoever you, you can tell a joke so funny that whoever hears it laughs to himself to death. Um, mm. That'd be funny. OK. Yeah. Uh, Raven points out that she first got the warning that losses were happening and the uh, the outer reaches were acting up again 20 years ago which is approximately the timeline uh, it falls in line with notable dates with regards to members of your party and I was like oh yeah that totally makes sense that's, that's about the time that the DM would have started fucking with things in order to uh, or that backwards history fucking would have happened if the DM was like oh shit I want him to have this companion now and let's see, she'd have to be born about 20 years ago. Boom. There we go. Yeah, that was, I think that I'd guessed where this was going. I mean, not guessed. It's 20 years. Like it's not, you know, no credit given. But yeah, this is right around when Arab June was born. This is this is when not just, yeah, I mean, there are some uh, notable dates with regards to the party, but also like it's a lot of their birthdays. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, the the DM was putting together the pieces, which seems to imply that he let the universe run unguided for 500 years which kind of makes sense 
Um, yeah, like you kind of just lost interest when Uther wasn't in it. Yeah, you you let it do its own thing, and it wasn't until you pick it back up that you're like, okay, yeah, I want to I want to drive again. What what do I need to tweak in here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Raven says uh, it came up several times. He says, well, I guess I'll patch the others in. I'm glad this isn't something I have to deal with just yet. Knock on wood. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's how you get a quest. Um, yep. I don't know what he was thinking by saying that out loud. <laughs> The quest would have been knock on P. Wood, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. knock on P. Wood. You've got to deal with the outer reaches before it destroys everything or something. (laughs) Uh, Not even sure what the what the goal would be. Someone's making castles. So what? Um, I don't know. It it seems like June is armed, you know, with with knowledge that, yeah, it's the DM. Um, But apparently it's also a a place. Uh, Yeah. But speaking of patching in his friends, it made me wonder if Val has a spirit. Um, I would, I guess she has to, right? That, that's what I was thinking. Um, it's also, I guess I, I have to think that she has a soul too. And June just can't see it. Um, yeah. Cause like she's not anima. That's the whole point. Uh, mm-hmm. like, and like the, neither can anyone else in the game slash the matrix, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if she didn't, it seems like she wouldn't store memories cause that's where they live. I, she'd be like a true NPC slash P zombie. In this, in this case, philosophical yeah. zombie. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. And I guess uh, Bethel doesn't have to have a spirit, too. But it's... I'm interesting, I'm, I'll be inter- interested to see how they flatten out that wrinkle. Hmm. Um, hmm. Maybe yeah. they won't be around for when they go into the Outer Reaches. Like, they're off stage right now. If that's the, the case. The Outer in the next few chapters. That, that would be one smart way of dealing with that problem. Uh, as the author, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. he just sloshed them out of the story so that he could not have to worry about how their spirit stuff works. Right. You know, it's like originally Bethel was just going to be a great person, but then he's like, Oh, I'd reach his adventure coming up. All right, let's get her to rape June. <laughs> great person is a stretch, but point take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We are on to one seventy six, well, the Warrens. Or I guess yes, the Warrens know the, Oh, you're correct. No, the just warns. Yeah. Uh, so the warns is this um, way of getting around the the world that is using various entads that go places and finding the way to link up entads that go places with other entads that go other places and eventually getting to the place you actually wanted to get through a chain of these jumps and uh, hacks. And that whole system, I think, is cool as fuck. And it reminded me that like. One of the things I really like about Worth the Candle is that we get a lot of things like this just dropped in that don't get used very much, but that make the world like richer and cooler and are just like very fertile grounds for continuing fiction. Like there's so many hooks and settings laying around everywhere that fan fiction could be written for years. Entire novels of fan fiction could be done utilizing these. And when I, I was thinking that, and then I was like, oh, yeah, well, of course, because that's like, it, it's almost like an RPG source book where like, you know, th- these source books are literally just like, hey, here's lots of cool things that can make cool stories. Go be creative with them. And that's that's what the candle is. And it was great. I I agree. I like the world, the fun world building this of it, I think, justifies. Um, I mean, like in in a quick sense, it just it. It, it justifies like having this whole complicated thing, the the Warrens themselves, rather than just like making a couple trips to the teleportation pad. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, no, we have more than five people. And it's like, yeah, you guys solved that problem before you make multiple trips. Um, mm-hmm. But 
it, it lets you build this thing, which maybe we would never use again, but it's like this cool background fact. And I can't help but keep thinking of parchment, which it's looking more and more like we're never going to see again. Um, yeah. You know, may, maybe he's got us back there on his path to victory somewhere, but it was like, it seemed like it was right on the cusp of some cool, crazy shit happening, but it's like, oh no, we got to go. Um, mm. And you're right. Someone could write a great story in parchment. Um, maybe someone who read this has already integrated the idea of uh, whatever the, the democracy based power thing into their tabletop game. Yeah. You know what I think would be really fucking cool and just is a thing that I think should be done um, everywhere because uh, copyright law in the U.S. is fucking stupid and broken is that if you want to take off writing um, based on someone else's work, like fan fiction literally uh, should be legal to write and print and make uh, make money off of as long as like you just kick back some percentage to the originator and i think it would be awesome if alexander wales just like came out and said you know what anyone who wants to publish anything using the sources that the source material i laid out please feel free the only requirement is that you kick back 15 percent of anything back to me because like that would make so many people happy if that was like a thing for harry potter or twilight or 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 possibly even worth the candle and it would just make the world like richer and more fun. How cool would it be if anybody who wanted to could pick up a Marvel character, make their own comic book, write their own story and just be like, you know, this is not from Marvel. This is from me. So don't take it as canon in their universe. But uh, this is what I put out. I think it's kind of cool. And I'll give 15% back of anything that, uh, that I make off this to Marvel. And, you know, then people get more cool stories. People get to create stuff and maybe make some money off of it. And maybe, maybe someone comes up with another fucking awesome thing that just takes off through the roof. And now Marvel all of a sudden has another great thing that they can cash in on and make movies out of. And also that person has, you know, a lot of money now as well. And, you know, they still get 15% back. Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds like that kind of thing would be doable if you're able to, like, rewrite... uh intellectual property law from scratch um yes like if we could do it all again that's a great way to set it up uh, it's kind of like residuals for actors and movies you know yeah uh you know it it i think i think it was jack nicholson was the first actor to get a residual not just be offered a check up front for the movie oh uh, really you would think it's like it's older than that but uh cinema is not even that old and that's, i might be wrong what, what movie I, was it i don't know um okay i I want to say it was like in the seventies. Um, but you know, if someone offered me whatever it's 1970, someone says, you want $50,000 to me in this movie? I'd be like, fuck yeah. And then the movie is the first one to make a hundred million dollars in 1970s money. You know, I might mm-hmm. feel kind of shafted for only having made 50 K, but it was still a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, getting a, getting a kickback for how big it gets. Um, that seems pretty cool. At least they probably get real paychecks too. It's not like whatever, uh, company stock in a startup. Where it's like, when yeah. we get big, you guys are going to be so rich. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we can skip the tongue battletoads thing. That's not important. I oh, just thought it was fun. It's hilarious. You think I should say it? We have to. It's only a second. All right. Okay. I thought. <laughs> I, I just. I thought it was great when Juniper is like the tongue. They created um, a fire team. The other half. Uh, they, they created a fire team that called themselves Psy. The Battletoads, <laughs> a name that they had apparently chosen without any understanding of Earth. And I pulled that out with yes and ha ah, ha and the DM strikes again because that was great. 
It, it is awesome. I wonder if Amaryllis gave them any Earth culture stuff while they're passing the decades in the time chamber or decade and a half or whatever. Um, he says apparently chosen without any understanding of Earth. Lack of understanding doesn't mean lack of knowledge, right? I mean, how would you explain video games to a society without video games? They saw a picture of it on the wall. Like, they put posters in the time chamber. I I mean, <laughs> like... <laughs> I, that, just, that would be so awesome if, like, these are things you should aspire to. And they have pictures of cartoon frogs from Earth that look nothing like the tongue. Yeah, you guys are frog people. Well, this is a badass you. frog, you know. Here you go. <laughs> right? Um, it's like putting Superman on the wall. On the wall, like Superman doesn't look like a human. You know, he mm-hmm. he's got a chest that's like I don't know, seventy five inches in diameter. Um, but <laughs> anyway, I I agree. I thought it was funny, Battle Toads, and yeah. you know, I guess when you said the DM strikes again, I I I always wonder in these moments, like if the DM gave them that idea, it means they didn't have the idea. Well, they had the idea; it was just given to them, right? And I'm, well. I I still it it just it was another check on the list of like the DM is either pushing thoughts into people's heads or this is just hilarious coincidence, but nothing is a coincidence, uh, right? Exactly. Also, um, I, I did not know there there was a cartoon that uh, you mentioned this in your show notes. It, was it any good? I don't know if there's a cartoon or not. Not actually. I had to Google what Battletoads was. It sounded like a nineties cartoon. Um, oh no, no, it was a video game series, but like in your show notes, you had a cartoon. I was like, holy shit, they made a cartoon out of it too. That's fantastic. No, it just sounded like the kind of thing that you would have seen on Saturday morning eating cereal at, you know, as a child. But, uh, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. then I Googled it. And it was a video game. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's just an old note. Anyway. So they're on the ship with the captain and it seems like the smuggler captain of a ship that you can't really trust is like a very common trope that I actually really enjoy. Um, mm. And this is another one of those. Um, mm-hmm. She's uh, she doesn't know what the Renaissance are, which strikes me as weird. She seems I would assume that being a a captain for a ship involved in the Warrens would mean that you're well traveled. And she doesn't she's never heard of the race of bubblegum pink immortals. Um, hmm. But nothing really to dig into there. I just thought that was funny. Um, yeah. And uh, she says to Amaryllis, "Oh, we've got warning system in place. It's nothing to worry about." And Amarillo says, I'd advise using against that kind of phrasing for the duration of this trip. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, do you want to trigger a quest or an ambush? Because that's how you do it. Yep. We can't we can't tell you that. But police don't say, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, yeah, that's DM bait right there. Right. The thing is, even asking her to not say that kind of phrasing, I'm surprised didn't kick off, kick off a quest that was like, it's nothing to worry about. Right. <laughs> That'd be a great quest name. He hasn't gotten a new quest in a while. No, it's it's been been a lot of chapters. Maybe he can only max out however many open quests he has now and he just start fucking doing stuff. Um, yeah, maybe. But yeah, because that would have been perfect. I don't know what the quest would have been. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uncover the, the smuggling secret before the police get here. You know, worth 10 XP. This isn't a big quest, but if you fail, you'll, you're going to lose your left foot and you're going to walk around on a peg leg because you're on a pirate ship, right? Uh, oh, that'd you know, be great. Some, some nonsense like that. Uh, yeah. And then Raven just casually, she says, I'm actually something of a scientist myself. Um, oh, no. She says, I, I actually created the Warrens. And first of all, that's just casual badass. Uh, she yeah. just throws it out there as a thing. And he says, June says, for some people, that would be what they were known for. And she says, I'm known for being one of Uther's knights. Mm. And living in the hero's shadow would suck uh, if you want lots of glory. And she earns lots of glory, right? But the thing is, yeah. it's all, it's all, basically all of her victories are Uther's victories. 
you know, he, mm, he gets all I the see. credit because he's the he's the real hero. Um, yeah. On the plus side, you're helping a great cause, but like it's it's kind of like um, Hermione living in Harry's shadow and at Hogwarts. It's like you know, if he wasn't here, then I could just be you know properly appreciated as the smartest person to come through here in a generation. But no, yeah, I'm here with the boy who lived. So like, I'm the boy who lives rival, not this crazy badass, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, well, that yeah, that's super annoying and. I I don't know. I just I guess I just feel bad for her. That sort of sucks. Yeah. He does ask her uh, if you got to start your life all over and we solve all the imminent problems on air forever. What would you like? And I I guess he's really starting to ponder because like he asked Grack in the previous chapter. He's really starting to ponder what he would do when he gets uh, he gets to become God and how he gets to do the God thing correctly. And I think that's, you know, it's good of him to start taking that seriously. Well, and Amarillo's you know, or I think June uses the word foreshadowing in this chapter. That sounds like it might be foreshadowing. It's a little early to be foreshadowing something that has kind of been laid out as what might happen. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think the beat of utopias are hard is going to be hit more and more as we get close to June achieving that. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, this would be something I take time to sit and ponder at some point. But I don't know if the story will end in and everybody lived happily ever after. And here's how, um, yeah. cause that would basically mean that Alexander has a solution for the utopia problem. Um, which isn't, which is hardly outside their own possibility, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just feel like even explaining that would take a long time. Um, uh, unless it's just a more fleshed out version of Grack land, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, utopias are hard and this is the second time in as many chapters as it's come up. So something to look out for. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the F word that you just dropped, foreshadowing, <laughs> uh, Tom Wool, the, the, not the black dragon, actually, the gold dragon. I, I guess we got that wrong last time. Yeah. Um, I thought the, so now, now I'm twisted again. The gold one is Tom Wool, the big one. Yes. And the one with the book fetish was the black one. Yes. Okay. Cool. But yeah, Tom Wool, the big gold dragon, is shadowing them. And uh, Amaryllis points it out and is like, oh, look, he's over there just kind of uh, just kind of being a, a, a reminder of what's coming. And uh, June asks, do you think this is what foreshadowing? And I was like, oh, my God, it just like with the candle to literally make it explicit in the text that this is foreshadowing, which, you know, kind of cool. It is the meta book. So there we go. Yeah, I I mean, it has an in-universe explanation in that, yeah, the people that uh broke Skylaw are flying away go keep an eye on them see where they're going yeah you know yep um make sure they're not trying to make a run for it but uh but amaryllis can't help but think in narrative yeah she says it seems unlikely that he's going to attack now uh but that's a reading from narrative not from some complex understanding of his motives or personality and mm-hmm. i think i articulated this thought last week and maybe i'm doing it every week or two i have no idea but just like how how do you live that way? Um, mm-hmm. You know, okay, yeah, it can't. He can't run over and kill us right now because that would make for a shitty story. And I know my life is a story, mm-hmm. but if I spell that out, he's going to run over here and you know bite your dick off and ruin your day forever. Like I, I still don't think he'd come over and end the story, but I don't know. It would just fuck them over the second that you lean on this reasoning. <laughs> Yeah, but but instead you're like Amaryllis and you start thinking one level higher and you're like, okay, if he's not going to kill us here, 
why the fuck is he here? And in story terms, it's like, oh, this is foreshadowing. We're just being reminded of this this thing that's coming for us later. And uh, and it makes sense in story terms. So uh, I don't know. Either she's right or or she's not. But uh, or he's just really keeping an eye on them because they're not supposed to go above 300 meters. And uh, someone needs to make sure that they don't. No, I think you nailed it. And I appreciate that. Yeah, she's one level higher. That's why she's thinking about the foreshadowing stuff. I was thinking that. Uh, see, I was thinking one level lower. I'm like, no, you just keep an eye on them. But they could have been, they could have had an eye kept on them in any number of ways, right? Someone could have just sent a fax if they tried to leave, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have fax machines. If they don't, they've got, uh, what's that device he's in Morse code through? Um, it's a telegram. Telegram. No, telegraph. Telegraph. Telegram Thank is you. the thing that's sent. Yeah. Telegram is the person who delivers. Uh, or no, wait. No, telegram is the actual message. The, the, the wires that it's sent over are the telegraph. And a singing telegram is where somebody carries a card that was telegraphed information and sings it at your door. Okay. Yes. Nailed it. Uh, I'm sure they've got that. <laughs> uh, fun fact, the fax machine was invented, I want to say, in the 1860s. Um, oh. Which is super annoying because the technology's you know, it's changed a bit, but it I just annoy that they still exist. But the really fun part is that I think it was historically possible for a samurai to have sent Abraham Lincoln a fax um wait what because the samurai weren't dissolved until the 1860s as well oh you said 1860s is the fact i thought you said 1960s no no 1860s holy shit then again that sounds too old doesn't it um maybe i'm thinking of uh telegraphs uh when was the fax machine invented i'm gonna feel really dumb if it's 1843 boom what all right it's on wikipedia look it up people that can't be the same kind of facts that we're thinking of though well only one way to find out, and that's to read after we finish recording. Um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I know you're feeling nerd sniped, but just duck and cover for now. Uh, <laughs> All right. Oh, so Amaryllis goes on to say, I'm wondering how many of them, dragons, we might have to... Oh, no, wait, not dragons. Uh, Anglicans or family. Um, mm. I'm wondering how many... I'm worried about how many of them we might have to kill if we can't get out of this without just the sterilization and the forfeiture of material possessions. Yeah. And I am amazed... That she is going to Anglican to knuckle under and let them sterilize her and take her shit. Um, yeah. I thought that she's going to go there to set the record straight and show them who's boss. But it seems like the plan, well, it could be like the unspoken plan thing. Um, and she's being trope savvy by not saying what the actual plan is. But oh. uh, the express plan is to go there, let them, you know, sterilize her and have all of her cool stuff. Granted, they don't need her cool stuff. They got cooler stuff and they can restore her body from her Horcrux. But like, it's, I don't know. It just, I didn't it's think insulting. it's insulting. Yeah. It doesn't, I didn't get the idea that they were going there to lose. And yeah, I, I had to remind myself that it's not just because they violated Skylaw, which I still think is bullshit, but, and obviously mm-hmm. it is. And the dragons, you know, couldn't give one shit about it either, but it's the, you, you abandoned the trial by adversity. Um, which we're also going to figure out, I'm assuming, what she went to prison for. And I think, you know, more than anything else, I think it's because she wants their new republic of, of frog people to be taken into the empire and being a legit nation. And you can't do that if it's being ruled by someone who is considered, uh, you know, among the most wanted people of uh, the most powerful kingdom in the empire. Hmm. That's right. If she squares everything away legally... Then she she can say yes I broke the law and I paid the fine now I have all the rights of somebody trying to start their own country 
Yeah. I sort of assumed they would just do it Napoleon style if they couldn't do it nicely. But there's no sense in in starting a world war if you can avoid it. So. Yeah, maybe that was part of it. Like, let's go there and see just how much they want um, from us and if we can give it to them. And, you know, like like you said, if, if we have better entads, we can unsterilize um, me. So if it's a reasonable enough price that it would uh, be worth paying it to avoid the war, then we do it. And I guess that makes sense. I just find it really, like, personally offensive to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to let you sterilize me and take my stuff and humiliate me because because it's cost effective to do so like i would i would still want to fight right yeah you're I'm gonna let you shave my head and walk me down the street ringing the bell of shame like just to yes show like show everyone that you guys are the boss come on yeah o- only if i would literally have be unable to stop you from doing that yeah well they'll get their comeuppance you know it, this isn't exactly like crossing uther but i'm assuming anyone who fucked with his knights also got fucked over I, probably probably so yeah. Hyacinth, if this all works out, is going to come to a very gruesome end. Um, in fact, it's already started. <laughs> She's already lost her husband. So That's right. <laughs> Just keep, keep fucking and you'll keep finding out. <laughs> the husband was preemptive. <laughs> yes. Keep fucking around, I guess, not just fucking. Um, the <laughs> Speaking of fucking and finding out, uh, June says, I'll refrain from violence as long as possible and let them take the first shot. And Amaryllis is like, I don't think that's wise. Uh, waiting until you're sure that diplomacy has been exhausted allows the enemy too much leverage and superior positioning. And June's like, oh, okay. Then I'll wait until the point when the expected costs of maintaining diplomacy rise too high as compared to the expected benefits of moving first in conflict. <laughs> first of all, fantastic line. But also, like, holy shit, Amaryllis is good at politics. I'm super impressed and I... I, I was I was playing on the same level as June, and the fact that she's playing one level higher always is. I, I just I wish I could be no politics and do politics like she does. Well, I think you know the way that she learned it is probably through you know being put through the ringer. Um, I don't know. If You're this right. Was... I don't want that. Well, the thing is, we can try and learn some of the wisdom without having to go through it firsthand, and that's the best way to acquire wisdom. Um, like. Yeah, I think you and me had the same thing. Our modest Midwestern upbringing is like, well, no, we'll let them fire the first shot. That's just, that's cordial. And mm. she's like, yeah, it also lets them set up, you know, snipers on every hilltop and fuck us. Um, and <laughs> and so, fire the first shot. Yeah. Like, did she have this drilled into her, like, as a small child? Or did she learn this, like, when she was six on the playground at school? Um, yeah. You know, it's when, whatever, her Slytherin finishing school that she went to. Um, mm. It's it's awesome. And the line, I'll wait until the point where expected cost of maintaining diplomacy rise too high as compared to the expected benefits of moving first in conflict. Um, <laughs> it's not quite pithy enough to put on a bumper sticker, but it's it would make a good T-shirt if you uh, don't mind long text T-shirts. But yeah, it's a it's a great line and I fucking love it. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> um yeah, I got uh, we So they come down to the, the border and they check in. They hand over their visas, all that stuff. Uh, and one of the guards is like, holy fucking shit, it's Amaryllis Pendrake. And it says, a smile began to spread across his face. Jody, he called to where the other guard was asking questions of the tongue. And like reading this, I totally got this Return of Napoleon vibe 
where like she's coming back and everyone on the ground is on her side and all the peasants are like fuck yeah Amaryllis is back and i was super excited about that and i'm not sure that's quite what we're getting because of the book but it it was a cool scene yeah i like the, the ambiguity in it until it explains what's going on um like I thought he could have been, hey, look who it is. Wouldn't you know it? Just last week, a bounty came out for your name. We're both going to retire today after we oh. collect the bounty, right? Um, okay, yeah. Like, he could have just been stoked um, that he's, mm. <laughs> he's going to be a millionaire. Um, but, or, or it was like, oh my God, look, you know, Princess Amarilla's pain drag. We're, well, I'm, it's an honor. Holy shit. Can't believe you're alive. I'm stoked. And then we learn about mm. the book and then we learn what the book is and, um, uh yeah it the the lead up to it was a lot of fun um yeah and uh oh yeah so um she's like oh i i haven't seen a physical copy of this book yet if i could look at it i'd even sign it for you um and of course can can my colleague take a look at the book she likes publishing Mm and um i'm like oh yeah uh raven can copy books and Mm -hmm. uh i because i was wondering like well if you sign it like what are you gonna like read the whole thing and mail it back to this guard later like you presumably want to read the thing right um Mm -hmm. then again i guess you could have just at least learned the title and went and bought her own but nope had a friend duplicate it they're smarty pantses fantastic yeah and and yeah they find out that it's her diary that she started writing when she was 10 and it's revealed that she it's not like a true true diary like when we think of it of writing down all your secret deepest thoughts it's a diary in the fact of writing down all your secret deepest thoughts that you think will be publicly palatable and paint you in the best light possible if your diary is ever found and palda is like well that's sociopathic you were decided at 10 years old that you're gonna make a diary that would exonerate you in the court of public opinion and amaryllis is like yeah well you know that's uh that's the world i was raised in I was like, Jesus Christ, brutal <laughs> world. But oh my God, she was a fucking boss since she's 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, w- I don't think it's much more sociopathic than I'd expect out of like Draco Malfoy. But I think Draco Malfoy is definitely a sociopath. That's what I was going to say. On second thought, Draco Malfoy, Draco <laughs> Malfoy is pretty much of a sociopath. So I think uh, really, like you said, it's she. she went to... Um, you know, she grew up in, in Slytherin house and this is the kind of thing, you know, fuck it. She probably had the idea at eight and then realized that her first draft of like writing a fake diary was too obvious. So she burned that <laughs> one and started a real, like a real fake diary. Um, mm. and yeah, no, it's just thing is, whereas Draco, well, he, Draco was, you know, a nice charming young guy. And then the layer underneath that was the psychopath. And then the layer underneath that was the, you know, core of goodness. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think Amaryllis, I don't think she has a psychopath layer. She has a Professor Quirrell, or she has a Harry layer, right? <laughs> um, I like the Professor Quirrell because Professor Quirrell was, you know, not evil. It was the Voldemort that was evil. Yeah, if we if we want to treat those as two different people, totally. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, but Amaryllis really deep down is a sweet little princess. And even deeper down, she's a boss-ass bitch who's fucking awesome and doesn't take shit from anybody. So, Goddamn straight. Um, they point out, and I, I only pulled this out cause it seemed either the, the fact, okay, I'll just read it and then explain. Um, they're looking at when this book must've been published and, uh, Amarilla speculates that she must've started working on publishing it. And it looks like it was her, um, her aunt or her nanny or whatever, Rose Mallow, the one we mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. and she must've worked on publishing this like the second that I was sentenced and what, 
Then Raven says, well, from what I know of Anglican's current publishing technology and practices, which is a lot, I would imagine this was put into motion shortly after your time in Baron Jewel. And I guess I only pulled that out because it's like Raven clarifies the timeline down by like a week, um, mm, yeah. maybe a couple of weeks, because it's not clear how long. Let's see, they're in Baron Jewel, maybe for a week before they went to Karlaga. I think they were in Karlaga for several days before they went did their rescue mission. Um so maybe, yeah, so maybe that's probably is, like a couple of weeks. Yeah. It, now that I think about it, it could have been upwards of a month. Okay. So that, that does, that is actually a substantial fraction of the total time on Arab. When I first read that, I was like, why is she nitpicking over a few days? And the fact that I was confused and me pull that out, I think it was noteworthy. Um, mm. Now that I realized that it's just like, no, we're looking at like the difference of like fully 8% of your time here or something. Right. So yeah, I don't again, think it was a full month. I would say two to three weeks. Yeah. That sounds about right. But it's also not clear why what difference that makes either, right? Um, yeah. Uh, it could be that's how long Rose Mallow wanted to wait until she heard from Amaryllis. You know, it was clear she didn't make it to the host. Okay, well, maybe she'll contact me if she lived. Okay, maybe she didn't live, so I'm going to write this little book. Um, or something. You know, it's not clear yeah. what level of, of Slytherin uh, Rose Mallow is playing at. But I think it's safe to say this isn't just like a, a nice little thing. Oh, my first thought too, the, the book is called the princess diaries. Mm-hmm. And so that seemed like, you know, Uther level, uh, creativity with his naming of ever if I've ever seen it. Right. Um, uh, yeah, but it's pretty, uh, Uther isn't around. I know, but that it just, this, this is, uh, the groundhog day. Uh, you know, it's not called groundhog day. It's the groundhog day. Um, mm-hmm. like it, just, it struck me. And the fact that it, it's, it's named after an earth book. Um, yeah made me made me briefly wonder who named this story but given that it is the diary of a princess it's not too mm -hmm. on the nose to call it the princess diary (laughs) i i you know this is a dm reference yeah but again that flag of like did the dm pilot rose mallows and make her name it that like i i don't know so maybe this is something we can spend a minute being curious about because like if if the dm shoved a castle into each of our lives or something, you know, that we both interacted with. Um, I can't think of an example. Well, fuck it. This podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is the first time we've ever actually sat down to record this podcast and everything that we thought we did before and all the episodes that are out there and everyone who's listened to them has been retroactively inserted into the universe just a couple seconds ago. Yeah. Like if that's okay. the case, it it feels like, my decision to have to enjoy doing this and all, you know, or my desire to want to continue doing the show, all that, like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's me anymore, right? But of course, yep. that's how things already are. So it's not clear out to me how I would like have less freedom in a world with these sorts of castles uh, than I already do. And I'm fine with the kind of freedom that I do have. But it just seems like I think kind of arbitrary if someone can be like, oh, no, actually, the whole time, uh, no, Stephen. Actually, you're 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 gay. You're not married to your wife, right? Like, <laughs> I I I'm now happy in this alternate universe, but I don't. I would feel like somehow I got screwed, even though I never did, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on like how much power that person has. It it seemed like the outer reaches people didn't have infinite powers, and they couldn't cover everything up. And Uther was able to stop them. I don't know if how the dm relates in power levels maybe he does like the uh the quarrel thing where we think he's infinitely powerful but we only see like 
the one or two things that he executes that happen to work perfectly and we don't know how he got there so it just looks like he has infinite power when really he just got lucky a few times and did some good planning like i don't i don't know necessarily but i would definitely say that if someone like inserted this podcast lost this podcast into existence then i would say yeah that that wasn't my decision i was changed retroactively after that but my decision to keep doing it going forward would be still my decision basically i would just be a a slightly different person making that decision than the person who had existed before the schloss yeah yeah i i that's a fun i'll put that on the back burner for a while like the dm is actually like not all that strong like the you know where he reset time when he was talking with june it's like Mm -hmm. He can only do that in his confined little corner of the matrix. And in fact, it's extremely taxing and he, it's, you know, he acts like he he could do it all the time, but it, uh, if he tried to do it again, he would like basically die. Um, like that's pretty funny to think about, um, you know, inserting false memories. Well, that's totally seems doable with even June's level of power. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, something to, to think about. Um, I, I think that he's probably a little more, a little stronger than, uh, like the weakest version of him I imagine being possible, but that's fun to think about. Yeah. Um, all right. They're, uh, they're thinking about how to handle like the publication of this book. You know, what does it mean? What do our enemies know? Yada, yada. Grack being mm-hmm. the sensible person in the group says we could land and spend a couple of days sending letters and figure shit out. Like y'all are sitting here wringing your hands about this. We could actually try and, I don't know, get answers and, <laughs> They're like, well, we don't have the time, um, but good on him for putting forward the the good idea. Always sensible. Crack's great. Uh, the chapter ends on a weird note. Amaryllis says a prayer. She she like closes her eyes and clasps her hands and all that and says, Lord, let me take the sinful world as it is rather than I would have it be. Amen. And like at first I thought it was a joke. Like when I read that, I was like, ah, she's, you know, she's lightening the mood. But uh, no, apparently this was not a joke because June is like, oh, shit, what she's take What the hell? He says, I wasn't really sure how seriously she was taking the whole religion thing. But from like the next several lines, we get the the impression that this was like a legit prayer that she just offered up to God. Um, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> obviously, she she's not praying to Jesus or Jehovah or anything because she they don't exist on Arab. Is she praying to the DM? And if so, why? I don't. I don't get what the fuck is happening here. I uh, my first thought on it was June was like, okay, she can't really be into religion, but you know, if it's helping her out, I'm not going to challenge her on it. I'm like, all right, well, good on him for not being judgmental. Um, that is that is good character growth. It means he's grown out of his uh, his angsty new atheist years, which uh, lasted longer with me than they did with June. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But I never Same. punched anybody over it. So um, good point. Me neither. <laughs> but uh, like you know, it it is a the sentiment of it is uh, you know a stoic meditation. Um, so like I I get I get that, but that is the weirdest way to express it. Not the weirdest. They're you know get creative. You can get weirder, but it is a really weird way to express like trying to center yourself stoically. You know. Yeah, for an Airbnb, absolutely, because she's using the, the it's a Christian prayer. She 100%, starts with yeah. Lord. Yeah, this just sinful, ends it with Amen. Like what why? Does she think the DM is Christian? Or I don't I'm so confused as to why she has chosen to offer up a Christian prayer and to who she's praying to. 
it might be like an inside reference for herself, like maybe going through the Bible and some texts on religious apologetics or something. She found that like, again, the, the stoic core of that prayer, like meaningful or impactful or something. And um, I, I can see that being how that landed with her. Um, oh but God. Does again, that mean she's made the tongue into Christians? That would be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> like full on Jesus. Um, You're right. The battle toads are actually a, uh, the militant order of the Catholic church of the tongue. Now, now the question is, did the cross that they have hanging up in the time chamber, was it a frog nailed to a cross or was it a person? <laughs> it's, it would have had to have been a cross. It would have been like when June came into the tongue world as a tongue himself in order to be nailed up, right? You're saying or it when had the to have been a frog? Came in, it had to have been a frog, yeah. Yeah. It, it wouldn't really make, like, what if I care if some frog died for my sins if I'm a person, right? No. So if yeah, I'm a frog, yeah. I don't care if a human died for my sins. It has to. God, that would. I don't think that's where the story is going. So I, it, I, I don't think it's that. I, I think it, I think she's doing a stoic meditation. And my my main thing then is that I'm bummed that she didn't find like good sources of yeah. meditating oneself into calmness mm-hmm. uh, than you know having to to glean it from. And you know not not to take an extra shit on religion, but like it is not the apex of of human achievement when it comes to meditations of this sort, right? Um, yeah, I, I get the impression she just like, maybe cause she's been trying to read so much about June and his background and get familiarized with his, his culture that she absorbed too much of this Bible shit or something. It could be like, it could be like something like a relaxing inside joke. I'm trying to think of something that June could say to himself that like no one else would really get, but you know, um, like they, they could be gearing for a fight and he could mutter to himself like, okay, let's roll for initiative. Right. Mm-mm. No one knows what the fuck or, or he's talking he could, about. Right. Yeah. Or he could say like, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I must let the fear pass through me. And when it passes, yeah, you know, the, the, the litany against fear and, yes. <laughs> and everyone else would think it's like a prayer, but he's like, yeah, no, I'm, it, it is a prayer from Dune. Yeah. It, it could totally be something like that, that Amaryllis is leaning into. And the thing is, both of those things are inspiring sort of sentiments, but they're ripped off. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what she's doing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put more than 50% odds that she's not, uh, that she hasn't converted to Christianity. Okay. I, I, I would be surprised as shit if that's where she ends up. Cause you know, not, not because like you have to be done to religious or anything like that, but you'd have to be insane on Arab to have gotten a book from another dimension amongst other books from that dimension that talk about mm-hmm. similar subject and be like, Oh, this is the one, right? Yeah. Um, Especially since June already told you that it's bullshit. Right. So yeah, I, I, I wonder if they'll explain it or if they're going to just move past it. Um, as we say, there's only one way to find out. Yes. And that is to continue reading. And we, I think we had a nice break this week reading only three, but we should go back to four for at least one week. Yeah. That works for me. This was a All right. busy week for us. And, uh, yeah, it it does make a big difference, um, time commitment wise. So, oh yeah, it was really nice cutting down to three. We needed it. All right. Uh, so yes, our next chapters will be one seventy seven through one eighty. Those are one seventy seven, the erstwhile manor, one seventy eight, the white room, one seventy nine, Hilbert's paradox, and one eighty, dumbest and tad. <laughs> okay. Um, I got into my guessing game here. So. 
Hilbert's paradox is an actual thing on Wikipedia, so I can look up at that later. Uh, the hotel. Okay, this sounds like it's um, familiar, so I'm really curious how this will work into the story. Um, erstwhile Manor and the White Room. Uh, erstwhile Manor sounds maybe Hyacinth's house or something, or one of Amaryllis's castles. The White Room sounds like a... What was, wasn't that the room where they made the Black Widows and Black Widow in her origin story? Um, I have no idea. It sounds, I don't know. That sounds foreboding or cool. Here it's Paradox. Dumbest and Dad. I know we're not talking about Bethel, but wouldn't that be funny? Um, <laughs> that would be great. Like, Bethel's back. That's how we announce it. Um, so, yeah, I, I got nothing. Um, other than Dumbest and Dad sounds like a lot of fun. So Cool. Okay, man. Well, this is great. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining me again. Um, real quickly, just reiterating that we have a Patreon where we do kick back 15% to Alexander Wales because I have been planning this from the very beginning. <laughs> I have long had opinions on US copyright law. Uh, we also have the link to Alexander Wales's Patreon if you want to donate to him directly and, of course, buy his book. It would help him uh, help quite a bit. Um, is there anything I forgot? No, just, uh, again, as an extra thank you to Alexander Wales for making this game so we could play it. Um, hit me up on discord. If you want me to venue some money to buy the ebook. Um, I wish I could just buy 10 licenses for it and hand out keys, but apparently I can't. So, um, super lame. I can't believe Amazon makes it impossible. Maybe there's other places to buy the ebook. It didn't occur to me. Um, I, I'm not going to look it up while we're on the air. So anyway, uh, have fun, check out the book. Uh, I keep I keep hitting that because this last episode that comes out before uh, it's released. So pre-orders need to be done uh, this week, the week of hearing this. So, yes. Um, yeah. Pre-orders and first week sales are the most important. That's right. For a book. So, in fact, not even this week. It might be today. Uh, this comes out on Monday, which is the 28th. Yeah. So buy your pre-order. DM me on Discord if you need if you need money. I'll catch you guys next week for those four chapters. Goodbye, everybody.